The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, uh, and I would like to invite you also to keep your questions and comments coming to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And I would like to invite you to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is jtaylormedia. I want to thank each of you uh, also uh, for uh, sharing this show with our uh, with your friends, and uh, we are uh, once again with the rise in uh, gold and silver prices, starting to see some additional attention to this show. I want to thank our sponsors uh, for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, and Cornerstone Capital. I've titled today's show, The Swiss National Bank and Gold, uh, Axel Merck and David Wolfen, A Return, uh, and uh, based on, really based on demand from a lot of our listeners, J. Michael Oliver is going to be with me. He is the editor of Momentum Structural Analysis. That's uh, really a very excellent technical newsletter that used to be uh, geared solely for major institutions. Now, Michael is making his letter available uh, to high net worth individuals, and so you don't have to be a Fortune 500 company any longer to subscribe to Michael's letter. It's an excellent letter. I receive it, and that's why Michael is with me, because I think he has a lot of wisdom to impart. We're going to be talking to Michael in just a minute, but before we do, let me give you an overview of what today's show is about. As I said, we've titled it The Swiss National Bank in Gold. Joining me immediately after Michael, uh, when we come back from our commercial break, then will be Axel Merck. He's the president and chief investment officer of Merck Investments. What I want to find out from Axel are his thoughts on the decisions by the Swiss National Bank not to continue pegging the Swiss franc to the euro, just as the European Union gets set ready to seemingly, from my perspective at least, destroy uh, the purchasing power of the euro. Well, so it sort of makes sense. The Swiss would want to duck out, but I want to find out uh, what Axel thinks uh, the long-term repercussions of that might be. 
Uh, and you know, also at the start of the year, I heard Axel Merck with Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio, and, and he was very bullish on the euro at that time and, and gold, but very bearish on the dollar. Well, since the start of the year, of course, the dollar has continued to rise very strongly. Uh, the euro has fallen sharply. Of course, the gold is doing very well. So uh, that part of what he was projecting uh, has turned out well. But want to get his views now to find out, uh, you know, how he's feeling about things. I think part of the premise was Axel believed uh, that the U- that the U.S. would definitely have to start quantitative easing five or quantitative easing infinite, perhaps. Uh, anyway, those are some of the things we want to talk to Axel about. Then uh, towards the end of today's show, David Wolfen, he's the president and CEO of Avino Silver and Gold Mines, will be joining me. It looks to me as if gold and silver may have bottomed out, and we're going to try to get our uh, Michael Oliver's view on that. But it looks like that may be the case. We may be on to a, a resumption of the secular bull market, perhaps. Uh, at least I hope that's not just wishful thinking on my part. But if that's true, then companies like... Um, Avino Silver and Gold. It's a company that's managed to make a nice profit even in a horrible market. At the same time, they're gearing up increasing production of silver and gold. Uh, so it would stand to reason that uh, Avino should be in a very sweet spot to deliver some nice profits for its shareholders. Anyway, we'll be talking to David Wolfen uh, towards the end of today's show. Well, uh, let's, though, turn now to Michael Oliver, who's joined me, uh, and uh, thank you, Michael, for being with me today. Well, thank you, Jay, for letting me be on. Thank you. Well, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, I must say that your, your missives come through uh, fast and furious uh, in these markets, uh, turbulent markets, and uh, the insights are, I think, very unique. You know, I like to, I like unique insights, not the ones that you pay nothing for, the ones you get on CNBC, and you know, as they say, you you get what you pay for. Um, but I, but I would like to, uh, maybe before I just ask you a couple of things about some of my favorite markets, I'd like to ask you, uh, or just tell our listeners that the best place to go to follow. Michael and to sign up for his services, OliverMSA.com. Oliver, O L I V E R M is in Mary, S is in Sam, A is in Albert.com. Is that that's the place to go, right? Is that right, Michael? Right, that's correct, Jay. Yes. Okay, good. Well, I would encourage my listeners to uh, to visit that site and and to consider uh, Michael's work. Uh, let's talk. We just have a few minutes, Michael. Unfortunately, and we're going to get you back sometime soon when we have a little more time. But I did want to get you in today because of some of the important things you've been saying about some of my favorite markets and some of the favorite markets on this show, namely gold. Uh, in your uh, on your January thirteenth missive, you put out uh, a letter to your. Well, that was on January thirteenth. You talked about thirteen hundred dollar gold. Why do you see thirteen hundred as as being such a very important resistance level? And and I, as I take it, you kind of see the need to scale over that uh, to really tell us that we're on to uh, something uh, higher up in in the price of gold. Is it simply a lucky thirteen, or is there some uh, some barrier or some a momentum no, or structural thing that you're there's seeing? There's actually uh, many reasons uh, for between twelve eighty and thirteen hundred to be what I consider to be the last hurdle. Uh, as, as gold broke through the 1180 lows of uh, 2013, it broke through in November of this year, got to 1140, which was the MSA target for the low. We turned back up, and in the process of that upturn, we crossed several layers that I thought were important. That, that and each time we'd cross one, gold would be propelled upward another $50 or so. But uh-huh. the real, uh, the major hurdle, uh, as measured by various momentum factors that I, I 
I analyze uh, annual momentum, quarterly momentum. And also there's some price reason for 1300 to be a barrier. I will say this, though, uh, and there is a report I put out on the 13th, as you said, that shows the charts and the rationale for that. So if, you read, uh, if your listeners would like to uh, sample that to look at it, they can simply contact me on the site. But uh, it, So it's a multiple reasons around the 1300 level, and I'm of the opinion uh, that if you can credibly close out a week out above there. Now, we've been as high as uh, 1308, I believe, this week or last week. Pull back into the 1270s, and now we're in the 1290s again. So it's, it's, it's holding firm. But this is a resistance level, particularly on a price chart via parallel channel analysis, that mm-hmm. we've hit four times now. Mm-hmm. Now, if you lean into a plywood door with your shoulder to break through it, uh, you know, and you're persistent at it, pretty soon you're going to go through it. Yeah. Uh, and just on a price chart basis, uh, without uh-huh. all the sophisticated momentum work, yeah. uh, I can define this level as a barrier that if you can get through it, there should be a whoosh. Now, the other question is, well, why uh, uh, minimal next target of 1550 Yes. There are some price reasons for that, but the primary reason is, again, the price channel analysis. There was a broad channel that gold was in in 2012, late 2011, 12, and early 2013 that was slightly downtrending. And when we punched through the bottom of that channel, it was like we opened the guts up of the market and it collapsed. Well, that channel bottom is now resistance, but if you can get back inside that channel, you go into channel top, I'm pretty sure. It's around Mm -hmm. 15.50. Uh, I've also done some other work, though, that suggests that if that is achieved this year and achieved, let's say, in the first half, uh, you could see mid-1600s this year as well. Uh, that's based on a strictly annual momentum reason. Uh, but to, for right now, let's just focus on the 1300 level. It is creating some resistance for the last two weeks, uh, but we're dealing with it. Uh, our market's not folding. Uh, and if we, I think if we can close out a week solidly above 1300 not $0.50 cents or so, but uh, something credible, I think you can pretty much say, okay, that hurdle's crossed, it's open field running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there, there could be vacuum effect uh, above the 1300 level, where the, the rush on the upside, instead of layered, could be pretty sudden. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. I, it certainly is, uh, runs counter to a report I saw today from, uh, I didn't really have a chance to read it, but reading the headlines from Goldman Sachs is calling for $1,000 gold. But that's well, what makes know, a market, isn't it, uh, Michael? It's different ideas. Was <laughs> you know, What's that? Uh, where were they when it was $1,800? Uh, I'm sure, yeah, they, that's, calling, that's, I'm sure they weren't calling for 1200 so, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, anyway, uh, what really made my heart leap for joy was another report that you wrote uh actually i think more recently and i don't have it right in front of me but it, you're talking about um you're you're turning quite bullish on the shares more so mm-hmm. on the shares mm-hmm. uh than than on the bullion what's the rationale for that well it's a technical rationale i mean there's there's sort of a gut level fundamental reason too you basically the miners got nuked off the page in price, just historical prices. Uh, they look like tech stocks at 2002. Uh, the difference being that while some technology companies can go out of business because they get supplanted by uh, a higher graded technology, gold miners aren't going out of business. I mean, the industry is not. It's the second oldest profession in the world. And uh, it got nuked. The price was off the page. It just wasn't going to zero. So with that sort of common sense, you, you look at it and say, okay, is there a technical reason? And there were multiple technical reasons to assume, one, that the, the for instance, I watch uh, XAU, but also GDX, which is an ETF of uh, you know the upper tier gold miners. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I'm not picking on any particular one. They're all I ba- basically th- think gold miners are the place to be, not bullion this time, which is mm-hmm. a sharp reversal of the last ten years. 
where it was disadvantageous to own the gold miners. I think mm-hmm. the tables have turned. It's a technical assessment based on the relationship between the pricing of, I use the XAU in this case, against bullion. I see a turn in the spread relationship that now favors the miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll notice any given day that gold's up 1%, you'll see the GDX is up 2 or 3 and it is not a double ETF. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you right, get right. a lot more bang for the buck, and I think you'll continue to. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's the rationale for that. Yeah, and uh, in your chart uh, on that same missive, uh, you passed along some very interesting senior mining company charts, and there were some that were distinctly breakouts and some that hadn't done too well yet. I don't know if you'd care to mention any, I, any numbers. Frankly, I don't have it in front of me, and I'm... Yeah. I'm I, as I recall, one I of them was gold. I try to be ignorant of specific gold. Okay, okay. No, you're not picking, I do. Uh, I respect them all. Stocks. It's fine, but I know they have their differences, and there's other folks that handle that job well, uh, you know, analyzing the intricacies of each company. Uh, it's just a fact in any given sector, whether it's gold miners or pharmaceuticals, the symbols within the sector will vary in terms of their performance. You may yeah. have a couple of years where you know American Barrick will outperform, and then a couple of years it won't won't outperform and it'll underperform. These things happen. Markets breathe, and relative performance trends breathe relative to, in this case, the mean of the gold mining index. Let's say. Um, right. Well, uh, I would just tell point, our I would I would just tell our listeners though, uh, Michael, that uh, I found them very valuable in terms of my own interest uh, mm-hmm. to see a breakout in some of them and then others that haven't. I think it's it's valuable information. Whether uh, and yeah. and really, what makes you valuable, of course, is that you uh, you let the language of the markets do your talking, uh, realizing humbly that the markets are much more intelligent than any one human being, including Michael Oliver. And, and Michael, I can tell you, my listeners, is a pretty bright guy. But, uh, but we know that, don't we, Michael? That the collective wisdom of markets is smarter than any, uh, right. any individual or group of individuals. If we could only get the Federal Reserve to understand that, we might be in better well. shape. Uh, they'll be taught their lesson by nature, so I'm not worried about that. <laughs> yeah. The other thing you might uh, want to point out is silver. Yes, uh, I would like you to comment on uh, silver. looking yeah. very interesting. Uh, the ratio, or not the ratio, these divide the number of ounces of silver to, to purchase an ounce of gold. Is We're at a point where it was 30 ounces back in 2011 of silver to buy one ounce of gold. And recently it rose to the upper 70s. So silver is losing its value relative to gold. However, uh, I think I, I analyzed the spread relationship uh, intricately, and it looks to me like if silver will firm such that it only takes about 68 or 69 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold, at that point a trend has changed. And I think from that point going forward, you will see silver uh, be stronger than gold. So I would focus, uh, gold people should focus heavily on gold, but it's not the primary vehicle. I think that gold miners are a better place to be based on what gold does. And I think the silver market is likely to be stronger than gold as well, uh, assuming that gold is going to breach this 1300 and go on up. Um, I think those are the two better places to be. Well, thank you very much for that. I, I appreciate that, and I'm sure that David Wolfen uh, of Avino Silver and Gold, who will be my guest towards the end of today's show, uh, he'll be glad to hear that as well. Of course, we have to always be careful that we're not being, and I'm talking to myself now, that I'm not engaging in wishful thinking, because I, I know how dangerous that can be. We want uh, to talk, we want our, our choices to be right, and we want our, 
the stocks to go in the direction or whatever we've invested in to go in the direction we want and we don't keep an open mind. So uh, that's what I appreciate about you, Michael, is that you really allow the markets to do the talking. I want to thank you again uh, for sharing your wisdom with us and want to have you on again more often, that's for sure. Again, folks, it's Oliver MSA. That's Oliver, M is in Michael, S is in Sarah, A is in Albert.com. Uh, go there, and Michael said that you uh, you will send them a sample, uh, Michael, of the of That's your gold. Uh, uh, I'll send that 13th. recent gold report, for example. Yes, mm-hmm. great. That would be really good. Well, there's so much more to talk to you about, so we want to talk to you again sometime in the near future. Uh, thank you. So, Jay. thank you very much for being with us uh, today. Well, folks, don't go away. We have to take a commercial break, but uh, you don't want to go away because Axel Merck, the president. Uh, and Chief Investment Officer of Merck Investments is with us. We're going to talk to him about the Swiss National Bank's recent uh, decision to depeg from the euro and a lot of other things, very, very important things for, uh, that Axel will have to talk to us about. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Axel Merck. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Axel Merck. He's the President and Chief Investment Officer of Merck Investments and the management, a manager of the Merck Funds. Thank you, Axel, for joining me again from sunny Florida today, I understand. Yes, for a few hours anyway. For a few more hours, and you were there attending... Are, you're there now, currently attending the ETF conference in Florida, and I, I've noticed uh, Bob Pisani on CNBC reporting and, and interviewing a few people from down there. But I, you know, before we get started here on some of these topics of, of the Swiss National Bank and what's going on in Euro and the Euro, to, to the Euro, to the dollar, to gold, and so forth, uh, I'd, I'd like you just to mention again OUNZ, your 
uh, your ETF that allows you to not only buy gold uh, electronically, but you can actually take delivery of it. How is that going? Oh, it's, it's going quite nicely. I mean, we, it's an ETF like the other gold ETFs. We have physical London bars in London, but investors can take delivery of the gold. And in fact, uh, just last week, we completed another delivery. Somebody took 40 ounces, um, had it delivered to their home. We can convert it into coins. In this case, it was Kirkman's one-ounce bars. And uh, uh-huh. what's nice about it is that taking delivery in itself is not a taxable event. And so when you have appreciated gold, so to speak, um, with the other ETFs, if you want to have a coin, you'd have to sell it, potentially pay taxes, and then you can buy the coin. Whereas with ounce, um, you can just take the little what you already own and you retain your original cost basis. Other than that, it trades like an ETF, um, has had a very nice one cent spread in the market, and uh, it, uh, it's a way to buy gold. And uh, obviously, some people prefer the physical ones, and here you kind of get the best of both worlds, at least that's what we think. Yeah, you have the option at least of taking it. I, be- I, I believe that you are the only ETF that does that. Yes, we have a patent on the process. Nobody before us was able to break the barrier between the institutional and the retail world. As, as you well know, those two sides don't really talk to each other. It took us quite a few years to, um, to, to create that interface, um, but it's working smoothly. And uh, it's, it's not that everybody's going to take delivery, but people appreciate that they can take delivery. Well, and you have the option, too. That's good, and it's good to know that uh, so far everybody's been able to take delivery that has requested it. So, uh, you, can, you can always take delivery of the London boss. It's just most folks don't like London boss, and so then we convert it into coins. But uh, anybody has, has the right to, and uh, yeah. Well, we have a lot of people that are skeptical about the ability to take delivery, so I think uh, uh, that's important to know that it uh, that has come off without a hitch. Uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, I, I sort of I listened in. We listen, my wife and I, frequently to uh, Bloomberg Radio here in New York, and uh, I enjoy uh, hearing people I know, especially like yourself. You were with K- Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg, I think it, probably around the start of the year, and at that point you were quite as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were quite bullish on the euro. You were quite bullish on gold going forward and not so bullish, I think maybe bearish on the dollar. Now, so far, and the year is very, very young, of course, uh, and, and I suspect that you'll be right before the year is over, but have uh, a lot of things have changed uh, since then, perhaps. I mean, the SNB comes out and depegs uh, for, uh, it's, uh, the Swiss franc from the euro. Uh, we've had, of course, the elections in Greece, uh, are, are you still seeing things the same way, Mer- Axel? Well, I get a lot of phone calls when somebody wants to get a positive call on the euro because we've had more positive than others are. It doesn't mean we're never short on the euro. We have an absolute return strategy. We have been shorting quite a bit the euro. But let me, let me tell you the context in which I made those comments. Um, what I've been arguing, and uh, today I think in the market is proof of that, is that the dollar has been rising on the backdrop of a rising stock market. The dollar has been rising in a quote-unquote risk-on environment, which Mm -hmm. conversely to me means that if there's ever again a drop in the S&P, maybe the quote-unquote flight to quality isn't the U.S. dollar, but instead is out of the dollar. And we see that in a day like today when we're talking, when when the S&P is down rather sharply and the dollar is down across all major currencies. Mm-hmm. And so that's and that's why I like to mention the euro because people pay attention when I say something positive about the euro. But then they like today the euro is up quite a bit. Now, obviously, what we have today, one of the reasons the euro is up today is nobody wanted to be long the euro um, at the end of last week ahead of the Greek elections, and there's some short covering and but sure. But the, the the fact of the matter is that the the, the euro has been beaten down, and if you put it in the context of of QE uh, with the Fed as well, the dollar weakened on the announcement of QE when it actually started to be implemented. 
it didn't weaken anymore. Now, I, I cannot give any guarantees that he was going to weaken it. By all means, Draghi is convinced that he's going to be able to weaken it, so it's difficult to fight him. But sometimes when everybody has an opinion, you've got to be a little bit careful embracing that. Yeah, it's sometimes it's, it's uh, when everybody thinks alike, nobody's thinking, somebody said. And then uh, maybe that's an opportunity for those who might think and care to question the premise that everybody's operating under. Are we surprised at all by the size of Draghi's announcement the other day? Well, it was meant to surprise. Um, the, uh, and, and the day before, there were leaks that gave the size of the program. And uh, the day before, they said they'd buy 50 billion euros a month. That leak pushed the euro down for about three minutes, um, and so the next day he said $60 billion. Um, the point, though, is that nobody, including Draghi, knows what impact this has. And the reason mm-hmm. nobody knows is it's very different from the Fed or the Bank of Japan. When the central banks, they buy government bonds, the, the sellers can turn around and deposit the cash with the central bank. You can't easily do that with negative interest rates at the ECB. And so you're comparing apples to oranges. And so it's, it's really completely irrelevant what he says. The only thing he says, he's not going to stop until inflation expectations are picking upward again. That's really the reference point. And the question really is, does printing money in this case increase those inflationary expectations? How can you get inflation into an economy when um, banks are not lending, when, um, when you have sanctions against Russia, when you cannot start a business because of bureaucracies and so forth. Those are the real impediments to growth and the impediments to, to getting inflation up. Um, and so he's going to try to do what he can do with the printing press. Uh, he's going to cause some damage. I'm not so convinced, though, that it is the currency he's going to weaken the most. Mm-hmm. You're not, yeah. You're not. You're not so. Uh, run that one by me again. You're not. Con- you're not convinced the currency is going to weaken the most. Well, uh, meaning that he's already gotten the euro down from the high one one thirties um, at, at at last summer um, down to uh, one ten. It was the low point. Sure. And that's sure. that's quite a drop. Uh, and and so of course the 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 the, the, the going stagger is while well, everything is going to fall apart in Europe. And while I'm, I'm, it's always difficult for me to vent the euro because I, I'm not that positive on it, but if you look at Greece, for example, um, in 2011, it was southern European financial institutions, Spanish, French financial institutions holding Greek debt. Nowadays, it's the IMF, it's the European Central Bank, it's hedge funds holding Greek debt. Who cares if they default on their debt? Well, the ones <laughs> who care are the Greek people, but there is uh-huh. not going to be the so-called contagion. And, and then it, it again comes out that Greece is a small economy. Now, what matters and what is relevant is that um, the anti-austerity movement is, is making the rounds in Europe and in Spain that's surging in popularity. So those sort of things do matter. Um, but other than that, we could care less what the Greeks are up to. It is a mess. It has always been a mess, although actually they have made a huge progress, at least until now. They've reached the, uh, reached the primary surplus. Now, that may go out of the window with the... The, the new communists there in power, but um, but um, I am not convinced that Greece is going to dictate what the euro is going to be up to next. Do what? Do you think uh, there could be a contagion effect here? With uh, you know, let's take the easy way out in life. I mean, that's always appealing to people. Uh, and then, of course, the qu- the question is, how are the Germans and and others going to react to that? Well, let's let's differentiate between what people say and what they do. Everybody's always going to talk according to their own constituents. So the Germans are going to play tough because Merkel wants to get reelected. Well, maybe Merkel has done now enough, but her party wants to be reelected. And so mm-hmm. similarly, the new government in Greece is going to talk like they're going to change everything. In the end, some muddle through solution is the most likely outcome. Now, 
bear in mind, with all this talk, talk about the year, we talked about gold earlier, by all means, gold is the biggest position in our hot currency stand these days. I do think that all the countries are debasing their currencies. And, and, and so I, I just think that the year is not going to be quite as bad off as some people think, and people might get very much surprised that if a currency was beaten down that much, it's going, to, it's going to do much better going forward. The Norwegian crown is a story like that as well. The Norwegian crown will be the worst performing major currency last year. Um, things are bad in Norway, but hey, they can bounce back from, from quite deep. And then at the end of the spectrum, let's look at the Fed, um, this so-called exit. Well, we're going to have negative real interest rates, even with some of the most hawkish predictions that we have about where the Fed is going to be. And, and, and so uh, we think that everything is so great in the U.S., everything is so horrible in the rest of the world. The world, in practice, is in tones of gray, and so we're looking where there's value. And then on the scheme of things, there's probably more value in the euro than the dollar right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you surprised by the uh, SNB's action, their, their sudden decision to, to loosen the Swiss franc from the euro? I think everybody was. Now, put in context here, in, in 2011, when they introduced that ceiling, we were very harsh critics of that. And we think it's a bad policy because it, it encouraged people to be complacent. Um, but to remove the peg at this stage didn't make any sense from the Swiss point of view. One of the things we try to do in our work is put ourselves into the shoes of the policymakers. And what would you do if you were them? And it just didn't make any sense from their point of view. They were successful defending the peg. They had lowered rates to negative territory at the end of last year. So that alleviated the pressure. And they could have done much more in that direction. And you don't get out of that policy, then unless you really have a reason. Now, you may not want to wait until the breaking point, but you want to see that there's a problem with this policy. And the only quote-unquote problem they had is that Draghi saying he's going to print a boatload of money, um, which to me suggests that Jordan, the head of the Swiss National Bank, was never really fully on board with the policy in the first place. Uh-huh. Uh, then he shouldn't have become the head of the Swiss National Bank and implement the policy. Now, um, and now they've created this huge mess. Um, you should have seen him give his press conferences. It's like a schoolboy um, stuttering when he gives answers. Um, and, and just uh, today, the Swiss National Bank came out and says they might have to um, print an irrational amount of money to, to try to um, weaken the Swiss franc again. I mean, they have damaged themselves. They have damaged central banking in general. Uh, but also, and before we kind of make this too much of a Swiss problem, I think the relevance of this is that this is a sign that central banks have masked risk in general. Risky assets don't appear risky anymore. Shorting the Swiss franc didn't appear risky. We have the same issues in the stock and bond markets. Risk can blow up on our faces anywhere. Uh, volatility is down in the stock market in general, and that can come back that requires a repricing of asset prices. And that is really the, the, the canary in the coal mine here, that maybe we're not going to get that 40, see a 40% move in currencies um, as a more common thing, but we're going to see things blow up in somewhere, and it's going to be a different place, and people are not going to be prepared for it. You know, Axel, today the uh, the equity market in the U.S. is down pretty sharply, as you noted, and one of the main reasons that I'm hearing given for it is a shortage, you know, a, a shortfall in the earnings, uh, to a great extent tied to the stronger dollar. So surprise. If- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the but yeah. Why are people surprised by that? 
uh, is a good question, but the point is that this is showing the real pain with a sort of strong dollar. Strong, I don't strong dollar in quotes because the dollar is, uh, as you say, I think it seems to me that what's happening is all of the in a coordinated effort. These major central banks are working one after another. For example, when we stopped QE here, Japan jumped in with a huge dose of uh, illegitimate money, in my view. Uh, and then, of course, now we have uh, the Europeans doing the same thing. Uh, but do you think, I mean, it seems to me, it's hard for me to believe, and I've never really believed, I think you're in the same camp, I'm not sure, but I want to ask you, do you really think that we can go through uh, with, or do you, do you see how we can possibly continue, uh, or how we can avoid QE5 or QE Infinite going forward? Well, just take a step back before we get too technical. What are the interests of the different stakeholders? What's the interest of the government? What's the interest of the citizens? What's the interest of foreigners? If you, uh, if you take the U.S., the government has too much debt. Consumers have too much debt. And the foreigners are holding that debt. So as a government, you have an incentive to inflate the problem away, and you're not going to face any resistance. It's you, somebody who has had some savings, who is going to be losing out. Um, and that's really the problem we have. The foreigners are not voting. And so we, the governments have an incentive to debase the value of the debt. Now, clearly, that's not necessarily going to help you become more prosperous. No country ever has been able to um, depreciate itself into prosperity. But that is the course that we are on. And, and, and so um, and, and we have to deal with that. The, when the incentives of a government are not aligned with that of its citizens, and I'm not just being about a U.S. government. It's the same in the Eurozone. It's the same in Japan. Um, and in many other places in the world, then um, we live in an environment of financial repression, which means we have negative real interest rates. And the question is, what do you do about it? You have currency risk. Holding cash in your local currency in dollars is risky because you're losing purchasing power. And that is why people do all these crazy things. Well, that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. We're trying to force some of the pain on the foreign creditors. And clearly, um, you know, countries, uh, most notably Japan, uh, China, is not at all interested, and they are, from all I read and uh, hear, trying to divest themselves of dollars as much and as rapidly as they can without causing the whole house of cards to fall down. Yeah, the Swiss uh, have that problem, by the way, now. The Swiss now hold all these, these euro bonds. They hold some American treasuries as well, and then now they have to sell them at a loss. And so it's not so easy to sell that stuff because then you have a political problem at home. I don't think the head of the Swiss National Bank is going to have his job in a year from now um, because there are going to be lots of parliamentary hearings about the the losses he's calling to the Swiss economy. What uh, I believe that you were very much in favor of the uh, the referendum for a return to some sort of gold backing of the Swiss uh, franc. Uh, should have he done that? Should have should have the Swiss national bank have been supportive of that instead of uh, going out of their way to try to keep it from happening? Well, people always like to have power. This would have restricted the power of the central bank, and so of course right. they were against it. Now, the very point of the policy was to restrict the power because they were pursuing irrational or irresponsible policies. And uh, some people may wonder why, on the one hand, I think that they shouldn't have removed this peg at this moment. It's always kind of, you, you take, it depends on the vantage point that you're coming from. As a saver, yes, you want to have purchasing power, um, but as the, the Swiss National Bank, they, have, they were on a different course. Now, there were some, some flaws in how this referendum was designed. The reason I loved it is mostly as a talking point because it, it, it brings to, it, it brings out the, the right discussions to talk about, well, what's the purpose of a central bank? And I think um, most, most on your program and would agree that central banks have failed quite 
quite dramatically in many of the things that they have done um, throughout the world. And, and the, the thing I am most concerned about is that on the one hand, um, they are destroying the purchasing power of people worldwide. But beyond that, they're destroying the social fabric of countries around the world um, because the more and more people are falling through the cracks that, that, that can't make ends meet with the erosion of purchasing power that's created um, in the system. And then a few people who know how to deal with credit very well are doing very well. And the response by policymakers is, well, let's tax the wealthy. Uh, and yeah. instead, we should have prudent policies and good a short-term policy is a good long-term policy. If we went back to that, maybe maybe we, we, we'd all be much better off. Well, I have no doubt about that. And destroying the purchasing power also, I would argue, destroying uh, the price discovery of capital. And to me, that's just the surefire way of destroying capitalism, which provides wealth for people. Socialism encourages the destruction and the consumption of wealth, and capitalism encourages the, uh, uh, the formation of capital, the growth, development of uh, human society. So I think you're, you're absolutely right about all that, Axel. So uh, we just have uh, less than a minute left here yet. The bottom line, then, is what? We, we see central banks with printing money. They cannot stop. Is that right? And that, then, should mean that people should go to an asset-backed currency. They will try to stop occasionally. The Fed is trying an exit periodically. I don't think they can get to an exit. They may start raising nominal rates, but we will have negative real interest rates even if they, they get, try to get out of this before they have to reverse course. Um, it means that we're going to get much more volatility in the markets because we encourage leverage then risk premium rises as central banks try to exit, and that can cause huge problems. If we're lucky, we'll muddle through. If we're unlucky, much worse things can happen. Well, we'll have to leave it at that for now. Thank you very much, Axel, for being with us again, and uh, really look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Folks, uh, we have to take a commercial break, but don't go away because we're going to be right back with David Wolfen of Avino Silver and Gold. And I think David will like to hear uh, what our first guest had uh, to say about silver and gold. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back with uh, David Wolfen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Wolfen. David is the president and CEO and the director of Avino Silver and Gold Mines, and he is the son of a well-known Vancouver mine builder who I've known over the many years that I've been in this business, namely Louis Wolfen. Uh, in fact, uh, David's father, Lewis, uh, acquired the company's flagship mine uh, for the company way back uh, a long time ago uh, when I first learned about it. This is in the 1980s or so. But David has picked up where his father left off, and actually uh, his, his father has to be very proud of him because he's developing. Uh, this company's moving along as a profitable producer in a, at a time when it's been very difficult to make money in the mining business. Uh, Avino Silver and Gold Mines trades uh, on the New York Stock Exchange and also in Toronto under the symbol ASM, Albert Sam Mary. Uh, I have 35.3, call it 35.4 million shares that traded earlier today in New York uh, at around $1.70, giving it a market cap of around $60 million. And uh, the company's made uh, through the first nine months of this year, uh, made nine cents a share, and, and as I just noted, a very, very difficult market. So welcome, David. It's really good to have you with me again. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jay. Uh, and I noticed that you really have increased your production very dramatically, uh, uh, 49%, in fact, to 1,342,000 ounces of silver equivalent, uh, silver equivalent ounces because you have some gold and some copper there as well, I guess. Uh, how did you manage to increase your production to that level this year? Uh, well, we just completed a big expansion, so we we added a third circuit in the mill. So combined, uh, it's operating at 1,500 tons per day, which triples the capacity in the mill. Um, if you look at our fourth quarter in, in 2014, we we produced about 436,000 um, ounces of silver equivalent, which is more than double. Yeah, the fourth quarter of, uh, of, of 2012, um, uh, uh, well, growing from 2012, but it's, uh, 2013 was 250. So yeah, it's still still almost double. So so we're growing substantially. We completed uh, uh, dewatering of the old Avino mine and and started running that ore through the mill January 1st. So you're you're we're expecting another jump this year, probably bigger than the 49 percent. Of last year, yeah, you actually started, I think, producing it from the Avino mine only in uh, was it towards the end, of, like September or something like that. Yeah, we 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 started processing uh, on a small scale in one of our smaller circuits, um, just so we could get the product ready, so we can um, take it to the market and and send to the uh, trading firms so they can bid on it. But it was uh, um, January first that we actually started processing fresh ore through circuit three, which was the thousand ton per day circuit that we added. Only on January. Okay, so we could be looking at. I see why. Then we should be looking at the much. Uh, larger production this this year, 2015. Absolutely. So in April, you'll see Q1 numbers, and look out, it's going to be pretty good. Uh, the production is definitely. So. Do you uh, do you have a fix on the cost, David? Uh, your your cash cost 
historically, what have they been, and how how do you expect them to trend into the future? Well, the cash cost in 2013 was about $10.16, and then all-in sustaining was 14.39. But if you look at uh, the three quarters after that, uh, um, the cash cost has um, it, it's bounced around from anywhere from 8.60 to 10.30. But the all-in has dropped down to about 13. So we've we shaved off about a a dollar forty from uh, 2013. So. So uh, 2014 is shaping up to be nice, and uh, and also with this new expansion, um, you've got economies of scale. So we 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 hope to improve on those numbers even further in uh, this year. So a lot of your fixed cost, uh, you have a lot of fixed costs, and so they're not going to increase, but your production will. I noticed that you have uh, on the uh, San Gonzalo mine your grades went up a lot was that because you chose to mine higher grades with lower prices or or did it just happen that way no it just happened that way we got down into i guess the heart of the system and uh the grades were really good in that particular area and now we've made a discovery to the east of san gonzalo so we're we're developing that right now so we've got um High hopes that we'll uh, uh, continue to process uh, um, at these uh, these grades, which is about 300 grams uh, silver and almost two grams gold. Mm-hmm. So you have 1,500 tons of capacity now. Is that right? Yep. And 1,500 tons. Uh, do you have enough mill feed to keep that uh, completely full now, or, or 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 not? Oh, sure. Well, with San Gonzalo, there's about two to three years left. Um, uh, a tonnage as of today, but we're finding more material. But with Avino, in the measured and indicated category, there's over 4 million tons. At a, mm-hmm. So circuit three is 1,000 tons per day, so that's about 12 years of mine life. Mm-hmm. And then in the inferred category, there's another 3 million tons, so we want to upgrade those um, uh, that tonnage into the measured and indicated. So at some point, uh, Avino could feed the entire plant. So, uh, any any possibilities of expanding production, David? Expanding? Sure. Milk? I mean, sure. you can, uh, yeah. You, you can. We've got uh, there's dozens of old artisanal mines all over the property that we don't know much about, and now that we've got good decent cash flow, we're we're gearing up for a good uh, drill program to go around and test these areas. So there may be other San Gonzalo like narrow high grade veins that we could use to feed our. Our plant, and the beauty of Avino's uh, mill is there's three independent circuits after the crushing uh, uh, circuit, so uh, so we can keep uh, the product separate. And then also you've got the tailings project. Uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we were an open pit mine, and we had really poor recovery rates. And uh, today you have a new technology called heat bleaching. Well, not so new. It came out in the 80s and 90s. And uh, and so we did a PEA on reprocessing the oxide tailings, and, and that's an area we want to look at later next year. Um, and it's a $29 million capex but uh, uh, the operating costs are really low because it's just uh, moving it and uh, agglomerating it and heat bleaching it. But it'll produce 1.4 million ounces of silver equivalent annually for five years on top of what we're doing now. Wow. So, so give me a sense of what your total production might be then when you, when you uh, get well, those Well, that feelings. project, you know, it's, it, it, it depends on when we get our permits to build our new tailings, which we've applied for. So at some point this year, we'll decommission the current tailings 
and start um, uh, depositing on a new tailings facility, and then we can look to move uh, the old tailings project forward. Uh, Tetra Tech that di- uh, did the PEA, and, and they're recommending 90 sonic holes, um, metallurgical test work, and then it would... Uh, basically make it a reserve and we could make a construction decision and, and at that point they, they felt it would take about a year to build it out. So 2017, 2018 is what we're kind of targeting for, for the tailings expansion. Mm-hmm. Well certainly uh, we had uh, J. Michael Oliver was on our show. He's a, a very, very astute technical analyst and uh, one that I have come to appreciate very uh, significantly, and uh, he has turned uh, quite bullish on both gold and silver, but believes that silver will actually outperform gold in the in the next few uh, few years, perhaps. Uh, but it certainly, uh, give our listeners some sense of how important are the gold and copper credits in uh, in your operation. Well, the gold is probably about ten percent, but the copper now is going to be significant because. That there's different mineralization in Avino and San Gonzalo. Avino, uh, when we closed the mine in 2000, uh, 2001, um, the last year, it produced about three and a half million tons of copper, uh, mm-hmm. or pounds, sorry, pounds of copper, and and so we're going to be generating that again now, uh, starting this year. So that will, uh, I guess, you treat it as a, from an accounting perspective, treat it as a credit to the uh, silver production. Yeah, correct. Um, well, it looks like you. It looks like you should be. Uh, shareholders should be very happy, especially if we're if Michael Oliver is right and we're heading into a higher uh, silver price environment. You know, you you have gold. Uh, you might have more gold into the future. Uh, one thing I'd like to ask you about before we conclude our discussion today, and that is uh, the Braylorn Gold Mine. How is that coming along? And, and tell our listeners a little bit about how you picked that up. Oh, it was picked up in the early 1990s from Homestake. Uh, my father picked it up, and he didn't have the money to develop it, so he created a new company called Braylorn and spun the asset out. Well, we just re-amalgamated uh, the, the two mines. So so it's all under one umbrella. It's a fully permitted mine. It um, was running at 100 tons per day. We recently just shut down the mill and put it on care and maintenance because we want to raise the tailings down based on what's happened in B.C., Mount Pauly. We want to be very careful and have a sufficient reserve in that tailings dam. So in the meantime, we've ordered new scoop trams, uh, jumbos, and we're doing underground development work. So we're looking at a three-phase program. The first one is just to optimize the operation. The second would be to take it to up to 250 tons per day. And the third would be to self-fund itself up to 500 tons per day, which is what it's permitted for. But that's going to take several years, and, and, and we need some drilling luck. We're going to be drilling all over the property, and if that, those results warrant it, then, then we can go ahead with our grand plan is to increase the capacity of the mine. It's a pretty high-grade uh, deposit, as I understand, in a vein system, is it? Yes, it is. It's made up of three mines, the King, Braylorn, and Pioneer. Collectively, they produced over 4 million ounces of gold. Um, the Braylorn mine was listed on the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange in the 30s, and Pioneer was on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the Guggenheim family owned it. At, the, at that time, the Pioneer mine was, one of, was the richest gold mine in the world. It averaged three-quarters of an ounce per tonne. So we're really excited about what we're going to find as we go deeper in the gap zones in between the mines. Plus, we've been digitally modeling a lot of the old data because uh, it operated before a computer. So, 
So once all that's complete, we can project down where we're going to hit the higher grade uh, uh, vein systems. David, you know, uh, it's remarkable. You've got only 35.3, 35.4 million shares outstanding. So you have a very small market cap yet, from my perspective, uh, given your, you know, in U.S. a dollar seventy or so per share. Uh, sure. And you and you're taking on expansion here. How, to what extent can you grow your company organically? That is, with cash flow. Or are you going to have to issue more shares? Because I love a company that has so few shares and can grow organically. Well, we have options. Uh, you know, uh, we want to keep it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, from, from you know, we don't want to issue too many shares, but um, you know, if the market spikes up and we have an opportunity, we'll consider it. But sure. we have other options to us uh, for 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 raising capital, and and we're exploring them. But there's no urgency, so mm-hmm. yeah. So you'll wait for the, uh, the the price to get high enough to raise capital efficiently uh, by issuing shares. If you do raise shares, yeah, uh, that's certainly what I want to hear as a shareholder. That's that's for sure. Uh, you, uh, one thing I noticed getting back now to your Durango operations, I noticed, uh, in reading some of, uh, something you just put out that Avino has a 100% interest in five more properties in, yeah. uh, in or near Durango. So, uh, with two minutes left, could you just give us some sense of, uh, you know, are those advanced properties? Are they former mines or what are they? One of them, the Anna Maria, uh, is on the CRD belt, um, and there's a lot of potential there. There was an iron mine there years ago, but never explored for precious metals, so we want to explore that. We have another project up northern um, uh, Durango, which is about 25 kilometers uh, away from Pitteria, which is uh, Silver Standard's big, big mine. And uh-huh. it's on strike, so there's potential there. But these are grassroots projects that we've held for, uh, for in inventory for when we have uh, more cash flow to go explore them. Right. Well, it's it's exciting. Any any possibility of uh, of vending them off to someone else? Let them spend their money to come in and explore. Uh, potentially. I mean, one of the properties just to the west of us is in uh, the heart of uh, uh, Coors property in La Preciosa, which is dr- directly beside us. So um, yeah. uh, there's no formal discussions going on. But uh, you know, if they want to come spend money on our property, you know, our doors open. Okay, well, it's, we'll have to leave it go at that. My engineer is telling me we're just about out of time. David, this is a fascinating story, folks. Uh, it's uh, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, ASM on the New York Exchange, as well as Toronto, making money. I believe they're going to make a lot more money. Uh, so take note and uh, check out Avino uh, Silver and Gold. Thank you very much, David, for being with me today, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. But next week, we're going to have the former general counsel to the U.S. Treasury Department and Reagan administration uh, lawyer Peter Wallison will be with us. He's written a book called uh, The Hidden in Plain Sight is the title of the book. Uh, And it suggests that we are really setting ourselves up for another horrific financial crisis. So a very, very interesting, compelling uh, viewpoint. Also, I'm going to have Quinton Henning. He's the president and CEO of Novo Resources. A really exciting story going there in uh, in Australia. Quinton believes, and in fact, there's good reason to believe that he has perhaps found the next Whitwater's Rand deposit. Very exciting story. Uh, one of my my own holdings, one uh, stock that I uh, actually my my largest holding, I might say, just a very speculative, but also very very interesting story. 
Again, I want to thank uh, each of you for listening to the show, um, and I want to thank Casey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Till next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. 